All right, what I'd like to do is read verses 8 through 20 of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. And then I want to come back and we're going to look at some key points to consider, some catch some key things within that. So if you'll join me as we turn our attention to verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they were made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen and what was, it was, as it was told to them. All right, well, let's just take a journey right back to verse 8, and let's walk through this and, and catch some key points. We know we're reading history. We know we're reading about an account that took place. I like to think of it history. You break it up, and it's his story. But it's not just for our uh, reference to the past and, and, and glancing back. What we have read actually has application. There's there's points to ponder. There's things that we can take, principles we can embrace, and, and literally let them affect our lives. Let's note in the first part there in verse 8, the angel appeared to the shepherds. Let's just realize this. The shepherds were not the religious type. You know what I'm saying? They weren't in the synagogue when they were supposed to be. They weren't showing up at all the Pharisee functions. You know, they were just, you know, they were just real people. And they, they had a, a, a down-to-earth job, a job that was actually looked down upon, ironically. Because in all probability, they were taking care of the sheep that would be offered in the temple. They're outside in the field, and they're just, they're just average people, common vocation, common people. God chose to go to them first find that very fascinating. He didn't elevate those that were presenting themselves as more spiritual. Instead, realize this, God sees people. God is not influenced by position or power or politics. It literally, quite honestly, means nothing to him. God does not need the influential or the elite of our day, to declare his eternal word. He's not opposed to anyone. He is not partial to anyone. God loves people. It's so important because 
trying to think of a way to say it where I'm not, you don't feel like I'm pointing fingers at you. Okay, I'll just say it this way. You just don't like all the people around you. What? You didn't have to come to Christmas Eve service to, to have someone say, you probably don't like everybody around you. No, I'm talking about not here. Hopefully here you're good. But I'm talking about at work or at Walmart or wherever you happen to be in your travels, or the club or the team or whatever it may be. You, you, we, we have this practice, subconscious, quite honestly, we inadvertently profile. And we, we tend to maybe even pander and tilt towards certain preferences. And I just think it's better to be honest and kind of weigh those things out. But realize this, God doesn't do that. You know, even as he is, is just appealing to uh, Samuel, he makes this declaration because De- Samuel in the Old Testament was to appoint the king to replace Saul. And, and so Samuel's kind of checking it out. Okay, what did Jesse got any more kids? And then Samuel is told by God, listen, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What he's saying there is God knows the the person, the real person. He sees the person. And I want to encourage you to see from God's perspective, to learn to see people from the way God sees them. Yes, there's some people that I believe we should desire to be around. I think there's some reason for that. We see some maturity or some knowledge or some understanding, maybe in relationships or perhaps vocation or, or spiritual insights. But let's remember, we learn from them but we're not elevating them. Does that make sense? Because the world you live in, it, it elevates some by putting others down. And Jesus says, is the, the message of the gospel comes first to shepherds through the angel. Angel appears to shepherds. Now, what do the shepherds do when this angel appear? Well, according to verse 9, they were afraid. They were greatly afraid. The reason they were afraid is because they were alive. Because they were awake and they were smart. Let me just say this. You're out in the field, sitting around your fire, trying to keep warm, whatever. And this angel appears. You should quake in your you know, sandals or whatever you're wearing. You know what I mean? You should be going. Because you don't know if it's an angel of life or death. You, you don't normally have angel encounters. If you do, I'd love to talk to you later. But I'm going to say straight up, very, I've never known anybody to have this type of experience at all, but let alone on a regular basis. So the point being, fear, it's understandable for them. And, and it's true with everyone, fear of the unknown. They didn't know what was, how it was going to go. But notice in verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I believe, because I'm not all there, but I believe... The angel was smiling, like, <laughs> don't be afraid. You know, I just think there's something there that that angel has. I mean, he just, does he not know he's going to freak him out? Does he not know? He knows. Like, oh, this, this is amazing. Watch this. Boom. It's like, oh, don't be, don't know. It's all good. It's all good. He says, get this, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. See, God removes fear by bringing good news. He brought good news, which is why they could not be afraid. Just tell someone, don't be afraid. 
but not give them the reason that they shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I haven't decided what I'm going to do with your life yet. That's not going to calm you. Correct? I haven't decided whether I'm going to hit the end of life button for you. You're not going to go, okay, I'm good with that. Obviously, when he says, do not be afraid, and then brings the good news, they're, and they're relieved. They're, they're actually rejoiced. Understand that for you and I as well. He brings good tidings. The gospel, the gospel means good news. And so God brings this good news because he, he, he knows our state or our condition uh, even before we recognize it. And then he brings this good news, this good news that we're told in this portion of great joy, which will be to all people. Great joy. God's desire is that we would know his joy. There's no one in scripture that says God wants us to be happy. Happy is related to happenstance and circumstance. God wants us to know his joy. It's so important to realize that because we live in a world, and, and many of us have even thought these things and been influenced by this perception. Many people believe that God's mad at the world. He's mad at the world, and at some point he's going to hit the lightning button, and we're all going to be in trouble. Or you went too far, you didn't do enough, and he's really just just waiting for that golden opportunity to judge individuals. That's not true. That is not true at all. God is actually wanting you to know what he's done for you, to bring to you this joy. And, and the world around you thinks that he's, he's demanding more from you, and God expects this of you. His desire is that you, that I, that we, would know his love for us individually. That we would know that love. The good news, great joy is to all people. He'll go on to tell us there in verse 11. For there's born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. This is why the shepherds could be calm. This is why the shepherds were to rejoice. This is why they were not to fear. For a Savior has been brought to you. Who needs a Savior? Well, actually, every person needs a Savior. The Bible tells you and me that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person. The shepherds understood it. The Pharisees might not have got it. They, they thought of people that needed salvation, but many religious people lose perspective and think that their attendance or their upbringing or their heritage and ancestry somehow gets them into right standing with God, and it does not. Some people, because they've had more uh, mindset towards spiritual things, they perceive, oh, I'm okay. No, see, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All need a Savior. So we know here this child is born. You and I know the rest of the story. We, we have the, the scripture to, to remind us and, 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 and inform us and to teach us. We need his gift of salvation. How does he save us? He saves us by paying the debt. Paying the debt. See, sin has a price. When I rebelled against God, when you rebelled in whatever fashion you did, for everyone has rebelled against God, the debt that was due was death, for, for that is the penalty of sin. It seems like a high price to pay, a little overbearing, but understand this. God can't just look the other way and say sin's okay. He can't just say, well, it wasn't as bad as some. Join me in heaven and bring your sin with you. 
If sin's in heaven, it's not heaven. So it's dealt with here. And the only means by which it can be dealt with, the only way is someone has to pay the debt, the debt, the death, the death penalty, if you would. Well, who's going to pay that? If you were noble enough and you decided, I want to die for my family and my friends, I will do that. You couldn't, for you have your own sin debt. So you couldn't even pay your own without giving up your life. And if you give up your life, you have no life to live. But what if someone born of a virgin, not inheriting the sinful nature through mankind, born of a virgin, who we're reading about Jesus, then lives a sinless life and willingly lays that life down as a penalty, as a payment for the debt that's owed by humanity. Literally, do you see what he did? The Savior that has come into the world, Jesus will live a sinless life, and then he will save us by paying the debt we could never pay with the life we could never live, rescuing us from death, and by his death bringing life to us because he rose from the dead, conquering death and hell, proving that he was God, that he is God. So understand this, this Savior, when it says there's born to you this Savior, it's, it's more than just the flow of the story. We want to stop and think, what is that conveying to you and me? He saved us from death into life. He saved us from the penalty of sin, and he saved us from the power of sin. You are still under the influence of sin in this world. You're still influenced by sin, right? That's the part you say, yeah. Yeah, that's the, we're influenced by sin. But you're no longer shackled to it. It's so important. You could have the habit and the pattern and the, in, the, the, the tendency to do things a certain way because you've always done it, but you have to stop and wait a minute. Just because I used to do that doesn't mean I do that anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. Former things have passed away. All things have become new. That's what the Bible tells you. And that conveys to you that you're no longer under the power of sin. You've been freed from it. You're influenced, but now by Christ, you can say, you know, I'm not, it doesn't have that power over me. There's an interesting passage. It says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and it's Paul declaring the truth that you and I know when we're born again. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This new life is life in Christ. We're no longer under the power of sin. And I want you to be encouraged by that because the enemy and even your own sensual desires tend to condemn you, tend to come down on you. and say You always do this. You always think that. You always, you always fail. And I want you to say, well, no, no, no. That's who I used to be. It's not who I am currently. In Christ, because of my Savior, I have been saved. You have been saved from the power of sin. And it's so important that we choose to then go, you know what? I'm going this direction. We see this beautiful picture. You can study it even more as you kind of realize uh, more and more as you, you've read the story, right? I don't have to ask. I don't say I need a show of hands. We've read the story. And it's embedded in our mind and it's firm in our memory. But we also want to know what God would teach us today from this story because we've matured and we've grown and we, we've learned a few things over the last year. Let's look at verse 12. This will be the sign to you. So these, these shepherds are being told, okay, so this is what's going down in, this, in the town. 
And so you understand that. So you, this is what's happening. And, and so, okay, okay. This will be the sign. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. <laughs> to use modern terms, uh, God in a baby wrap. In a sleep sack for infants. Uh, the term that we had when our kids were young and little and being born. You ever heard of this term? A receiving blanket. I actually love that. When you start chewing on that thought, a receiving blanket that we would receive our king. But it is an amazing thing. You can spend the rest of your life thinking about the ramifications and the depths of this verse and what it teaches you about God's love and his ways. Nobody would have thought of this. No human would have come up with this. God placed himself in the hands of humanity that we would know his love. I, I, I have a hard time even communicating it because it's not clear in my head how powerful that is. The, what it reveals about his commitment, his love for us. That he would pay such a price. Oh man, can we agree? Take such a risk. He trusted you, me. Well, not literally, Mary and Joseph. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't even theologically balance it. Maybe I'm the only one. I'm not the only one. But I won't quit pursuing it. I won't quit digging out this gem and unearthing the reality of this truth. That God came as, as, as an infant child. I got to see a little baby sitting in the back row. Little four-day-old Amos. I mean, I'm just, I would just stop by over there just a little bit. I got to see this baby. And here I am get to come up here and teach. And here's this. This is, I, I might be exaggerating because my hands are big. It might be smaller. And I'm just, it just triggered as I'm up here worshiping. Like, oh man, that's the very, I mean, here's, there's God in this size, in this format, with the receiving blankets. This is how the, the shepherds would know. Go into town, and this is what you'll find this infant child, the savior of the world, wrapped in these swaddling cloths. And of course, what do they do? Well, they don't do anything right away. Because as that's declared in the, in the, the visual verification and the location, so they can confirm some things, angels break out. It says in verse 13, there was a, there, suddenly there was a, the, with the angel of the uh, uh, multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. Wow. They break out in this heavenly proclamation. Glory to God on earth, peace. God's will toward men. This is speaking of an inner peace that comes to the individual. That turmoil, that, that battle within, when, when you're trying to reconcile your own truth, your own sin nature, but then the Savior has come to rescue you from your self-reliance, being your redeemer, the one who would save you. There's no other way you know peace except for that inner peace, that personal peace with God. I'm going to say something that it's not uh, well-received in the sense of it's not popular. There will be no world peace. I know you may have read it, and maybe that you caught CNN, maybe you caught some post that says this is what we need to do to reconcile. This is how we'll have world peace. There will be no world peace. 
I'm not a gloom and doom guy. I'm not Dan the Downer. You know, I'm just saying in reality, there will be no world peace until the Prince of Peace returns. Then we'll experience peace. This, this su- silly, foolish arrogance of the Western civilization's way of thinking and others that think, well, we need peace in Israel. We need peace. In, there will never be peace in the Middle East until Jesus returns. Why do I say that? Well, you can just be honest and look at it yourself. You already know this. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the choir. When one team, one side, one group says, okay, we'll negotiate. We'll work this out. All right, we can work out towards a a two-state solution. Yes, we can work it out. What do we need to do? What are the important parts? This side says, okay, this is all we require. All the Israelis must die. That's all we ask. We want them all dead. We want all of their land, and we never want to hear about them again. So let's sign the contract. Are we surprised that Israel says, you take a hike? There's no way we're going to agree to our extermination to appease the global environment. It's just ridiculous what people are thinking right now. And I only throw that in there because sometimes people think, well, Jesus, it says, you know, on earth, peace. It's not speaking of nations. It's speaking of the individual. The Savior didn't save nations. Jesus saves individuals that collectively make up nations, but he saves the individual. Notice it says, glory to God in the highest. What would be our application for that? What would we consider? How would we live that out? The highest form of worship and praise, the greatest way of glorifying God that can be done is giving your life fully over to him. He's not short. He doesn't need, you know, a barbecue in the form of of a, you know, burnt offering. He doesn't need money handed up to heaven so he can finish paving the streets with gold. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your resources. He doesn't need anything. But he invites you to offer up your very life as an act of adoration and worship. Exercising free will. Glory to God in the highest. That's the greatest thing we can do in the manner of worship. And it's fully given our life to him. Moving on to verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I love this because, as I said, we're reading history, but we want to think, what do, how do, what, what do I do with this? How do I, what do, is, is there a practical uh, principle, something I can put into play, put into to, to, to life. Yeah, see, because news requires a response. And they had some great news. They got some great news. And they're living out in the field, and they're like, okay, let us now go. See, because they realized, because they were informed, they then made the decision, let's go and confirm this. Let's go and see this. I'm excited to be a part of this. They were never commanded to go and see. They were invited to see something great. Can we agree? I mean, in your life story, from your new bicycle to your first skateboard to your first car, or whatever your high points are, if you were one of the shepherds, this would be the top. This would be the most phenomenal experience of your life. 
And here they say, hey, listen, this is what's happened. And then you have this great obvious opportunity. And so they say, let us now go. It's the same today. We're not commanded to go. It's not a matter of, do I have to go? You know, you don't have to go to to Christmas Eve service. Well, (laughs) some of you do, because your parents said you will. And so that's how you're going to get your presents tomorrow. So, but let's just be the truth is, as we grow, we, we can, we make these decisions. We don't have to, to seek God. We don't have to, we're, we're invited to. We get to it. The question is, why wouldn't we go? Why wouldn't we look and see what the Lord has made known? I don't speak that with any sense of like, I got it figured out. It's a deep conviction in my own life. When I consider the time that I have on a daily basis, when I'm awake, or even when I wake up in the middle of the night, to be able to be aware of the word of God and and to choose to put into practice knowing God is so important that we realize, man, we've been given these wonderful opportunities. You notice they went to confirm what the Lord had made known to them. They're going to go confirm what the Lord had made known to them. What's he made known to us? What's he made known to you and me? He's made known this story because you didn't live then. He's made known more about this story, quite honestly. In the Old Testament, he said hundreds of years before it came to pass that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So he made that known. He said of the, of the Savior of the world, he, he, when he would come, where he would be, he spoke of him being Emmanuel, which we know to be God among us, God with us. So those are prophecies. Those are things he said so that when they would come to pass, we would realize who he is. And what, I say all this because he's made this known to us. And so I ask myself, and I would encourage you to, to really even work through your own like disciplines and practice and daily time management. What will I do? What will I do with what I know to be true? But, but understand this. If you ever felt that you, you couldn't share much about the Bible or maybe be the one to talk to people because you don't know the Bible that well, Here's the thing. You just share what you know. The, the shepherds didn't have a deep theological understanding. They weren't invited to the Pharisaical or the Sadducee speaking tour because they had this experience in the field. They were probably looked down upon. When they presented to the, to the religious community this truth that they've experienced, what they knew, what the Lord had made known to them, I don't think that they were received as uh, any type of expert. But they shared what they knew to be true, and that's all you can do. You don't have to have all the answers. You know, I, I have been teaching the Bible for over 30 years, and every time I feel inadequate, incapable, to a degree incompetent, in the sense of there's so much I don't know. So I stand before you and I just say, this is what I know. And I'll get an email or someone will have a pleasant conversation and we'll, we'll have a discussion and, and they find out something they knew and they suspected. He didn't know that much. No, I don't. I know. I, I, but I, I'm going to share what I know to be true. And I'm going to continue to pursue it. I'm going to continue to seek it. I want to be like the shepherd. I just want to let you know what I know. Because this is what God has made known. 
Let's consider as we wrap this up the people in this story and, and maybe continue with this thought and this idea of the similarities for you and I, the practice or the principles that can be put into practice. Notice in verse 17, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And that's what I've emphasized. They, they made known what they knew. Do you know everything about Jesus? If somebody asks you about this and gets into this doctrinal position, or you, know, you just share what you know to be true. This I know to be true. Jesus was born as Savior to the world. Well, now, Pastor Dan, I think it's odd that you celebrate this at Christmas because all indications is he was born long about, you know, springtime. Well, this, have you ever heard that story, that argument? Well, when was Jesus born? Who cares? Oh, how sacrilegious. Who cares? He was born. Agreed? If we needed to know the date, God would have told us. Maybe we should realize he was born a savior to humanity. Let's not discuss, let's not divide, let's discuss, let's not divide over stuff that's like, just share what you know to be true. Now in verse 18, those who heard what was being shared, heard it, marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Just like tonight, just like today, just like in our culture, some hear and marvel. They admired, they wondered, they, they literally took it serious. Like, man, I want to think about that. We know in all probability, I'm confident that some heard it and they went back to the routine of life. They just went back in and they didn't maybe consciously intend to, but after hearing a word from the Lord or after hearing about what God had done, they just slipped back into the groove of everyday life. You know, kind of just sinking spiritually. Some embraced it. They heard it. They embraced it. They confirmed it. And their lives were greatly changed. It's much like what we see happening in our world today. Notice in verse 19, Mary's response. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. It literally speaks of Mary collected and considered all these things. She's holding this child. She's seen phenomenal promises fulfilled already. She's seen God's provision. She's seen all this unfold. And as that has happened, she's certainly going, okay, what's next? In just a few days... She will be in the temple area in Jerusalem. Simeon is a man who God said, listen, you will see the Savior. And he approaches Mary and says, oh, this is the one the Lord spoke of. Jesus is like eight days old. Anna, the prophetess, also speaks of the Messiah. And I believe it's Simeon that says, oh, man, your heart is going to be torn, Mary. There's going to be the rise and fall of many because of this son. And she pondered those things, and she worked through those things. She stayed the course. Lastly, we can see the shepherds. They returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard as it was told them. Glorifying and praising God because of what he had done. Nobody ordered angels that morning. You know what I'm saying? Nobody looked at the entertainment guide and selected that on pay-per-view. This just, they, God just showed up. God just did an, an amazing thing in their life, and they received it. Let's wrap up with three points. I'll be quick. When you leave tonight, when you return to your car and to your home and to your people, what will you do? Because here are three things I'd like you to consider. The first one, rejoice. 
the gift of salvation has been brought to you. The second one, be real with Jesus. Be real with Jesus. Get to know Jesus through prayer, through reading of the word, through just seeking his face. He, he is, the Bible tells us, he is the word. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. Why do I emphasize that? Because some people have had a religious experience. They've maybe been in attendance in various places. Some people have been hurt by those who profess to be Christians. They perceive Jesus as like that Christian. But, but don't, don't be mistaken. Jesus is Jesus. And get to know Jesus. Just because somebody maybe didn't represent him well, or perhaps life was hard, or maybe you've been through difficulty and trial. I just want to exhort you, encourage you, be real with Jesus. I was raised with a very religious background. My wife was raised with a very religious background. When we come into a relationship with Christ, we had some beautiful advice, some wonderful people to say, just get to know Jesus. Don't get caught up in all this and that and those things. Just be real with Jesus. And the last thing, return glorifying and praising God. Return glorifying. You know, you may not have to work Monday, but you might be there Tuesday. The routine of life will take place, but it doesn't have to rob you of your joy. Return glorifying and praising God. It's like this. Live out the love you've been given. Share the greatest gift that mankind has ever known. What an amazing opportunity. So the worship team's going to come back up. We're going to have three worship songs together. Um, I'll have you stand. And we're going to pray. But as you stand, and we're going to dim the lights down, and, and we're going to have, you can turn on those candles that you kids have been so patiently waiting to play with. This is your golden moment. There might be even an extra one next to you. You could use two if you wanted to. But we're just going to use the candles as just a little memory, a reminder, as Kim had mentioned, that the light of the world and the ramifications and the truth of that. So let me just summarize. We're going to look at John 13, verse 34 and 35 as, uh, as we begin to pray. And then we're going to close out our time with worship and have time afterwards to gather together. With an attitude of prayer, with an awareness of these verses, let me read them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. God, as we stand before you and recognize these truths that you brought to our heart, these insights that you were bringing to our understanding, we just want to thank you, God, for your love proven by what you've done. We know the verse that you declare that you so love the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Proving that love is not just a concept of feeling or a theory but an action. And you gave yourself to pay for our sin. Thank you for the gift of salvation, Jesus. If you're listening to this message either online or maybe here on site, you're not confident, you don't have the certainty of your salvation, I, I want to I lead you in a, in a prayer. I could have you recite it, but it's, it's really more important that in your very heart of hearts you speak to God in this regards. God, I don't know 
what I'm doing in life. I, I know I have sin. I know how I have issues that are, oh, I've just rebelled against you in various ways. And I, I've learned that the result of that rebellion is um, I brought death upon myself. But the, the penalty of sin is death. And I agree I have sin and I would request for your forgiveness. That Jesus, you would forgive me of my sins. I, I believe that you are God. I believe that you lived a sinless life. I believe you died for my sins. You rose from the dead and you conquered death and hell. I don't know all the details, but I'll hold on to that truth and put my faith in you, God. That you, Jesus, would forgive me of my sins. I believe you are God. And I would also ask that you would teach me, show me this new life you've just given me. That I would turn from those things that would take me down and hold me back. And I would affix my eyes upon you, Jesus. And I would know how to do that, what that would mean in my Mondays and on my Fridays and every day of the week. Thank you for this new life. I sing to you. You're so good. We sing to you, God. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.